This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. During January, I'll be sharing my summer series, a recasting of some of our most popular Psych for Life podcast episodes. I hope you enjoy them as much as my other listeners have. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today I'll be discussing, is grey drinking catching up with you, with coach and speaker Sarah Rusbatch. Sarah is a certified women's health and wellbeing coach, an accredited grey area drinking coach, and a keynote speaker sharing her journey to sobriety and the impact of alcohol on mental health to global audiences. She's also the face behind Perth's growing alcohol-free movement. Welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a delight. And I read on your website that you quit drinking in 2019 and you haven't looked back. Yes. So April the 27th, 2019. So just coming up to to three and a half years. Congratulations. Thank you. And what made you decide to quit? So I have always had a let's just say um a love-hate relationship with alcohol let's just so I grew up in the north of England um where it kind of wasn't even a question as to whether or not I would drink like um I don't know what it was like for you but growing up for me alcohol was something that I watched my parents do I watched every social event they attended or parties we hosted at home always involved alcohol so for me it was just a matter of time as to when I would drink and for me that was at about 14 15 we used to fill up um soda stream bottles with whatever we could find in our parents drinks cabinet and go down the local park and drink chin or Southern Comfort and (laughs) things like that and so that was my kind of um, initiation into alcohol and at the time you know going into the 90s I went to uni and it was very much that whole era of you know the girls can drink as much as the boys girl power sex in the city was coming on the scene we were watching the the girls of that show drinking their cosmos and and going for female equality and um and you know us girls we wore it as a badge of honor Mm. I can match the boys pint for pint I can drink as much as them so I definitely drank a lot but I didn't drink in a way that I felt was um, unhealthy or a way that was impacting my life in any way it was just what we did at that time I moved to London um, got a job was still drinking just could afford a bit nicer alcohol by this point it wasn't the um the cheap crappy stuff we were now onto the nicer cocktails and champagnes um and probably then I I think looking back I could see that I just seemed to like drinking a lot more than some of my friends did And, and whereas they would be ready to call it a night I never was. I just wanted to keep going. I was the one that was like, what do you mean you're going home? I want another drink. And so I was definitely at that point, like people knew me as Sarah, the party girl, wherever there was a party, I was there. Um, I was having pre-drinks at my house, after drinks at someone else's house, like the party continued. And in between there was a bit of work, but it was very much that hedonistic 
big drinking culture, but I didn't drink on my own, which is what we're told means that you've got a problem if you drink on your own. So as long as you're drinking socially, then it's okay. Yes. Um, I was, I mean, I tried to think how many units a week I was drinking, but was still living with that false sense of, well, it's always to socialize. It's always when I'm out with friends, it's it's not on my own. I'm not drinking to and crying into my bottle of gin. Like we're led to believe that people who have a problem with alcohol do. So Mm -hmm. my belief was I'm just a party girl. Um, The problem for me came when I got married and had a baby and then we decided to move to Australia. So that was in 2010. And I didn't, I completely underestimated the impact that a move like that would have on me because it coincided with, I got pregnant again straight away. So I had two under two. Mm. I had no friends. I had no family. I had gone from having a very successful career Mm. and I suddenly wasn't working. I was at home all day with two very, very small babies and and toddler that that were very demanding on me Mm. with no one to help me. My husband was going out and working long hours building a business and I was struggling. Like I was lonely. I was homesick. I was a bit bored I was a bit unfulfilled I was cleaning baby sick all day and pureeing parsnips and kind of like where's my Jimmy Choo's and my <laughs> Louis Vuitton handbags and my fancy dinners that I used to yeah. have with my clients and and my life was just so different yeah. and I wasn't prepared for that and alcohol became a crutch uh, and alcohol then became something that I was looking forward to yeah. It was my 5 p.m. reward. Yep. And, you know, the whole mummy wine culture, like alcohol companies, I think, have deliberately targeted mums. Mm. And I have such a problem with that because we're struggling with anxiety, with lack of sleep, with yes. imposter syndrome, with worrying about whether we're doing things right. You know, we, we don't need to throw in the impact of alcohol. Yeah. But the problem with alcohol is it's a really quick fix in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so it became that reward for me and it became problematic. And yeah. so I was definitely getting to the point where alcohol was something I was thinking about a lot. I was planning my next drinks. Mm-hmm. I didn't drink every day because I then told myself I didn't have a problem if I didn't drink every oh. day. Um, it's incredible the stories yes. we can tell ourselves, right? Yes. And by 2017, so that was seven years of, um, no, probably about five years I would say a bit steadily building up. I was making rules around my drinking, but I was always breaking them. Mm-hmm. I was always drinking more than I intended. And I had reached the point where alcohol was really starting to impact some major parts of my life. It was impacting my sleep. Um, mm-hmm. I was always waking up at 3 a.m. where couldn't get back to sleep, full of remorse, full of self-loathing. Oh, I'm not going to drink tonight. I'm not going to do it. And then by five o'clock, I'd be opening that next bottle of wine. It's a I, vicious circle, isn't it? That addiction sort of cycle of dependency even um, where, yes, you kick yourself and then the stress builds up again, of course, and that lack of self-regulation that you talk about in your work with people that you help them regulate themselves rather than use the alcohol. And it's that cycle of then not being able to regulate or not choosing to go somewhere else to regulate other than to alcohol and then using again. And it's, as you say, it's a quick fix. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the problem is it works until it stops working. But the yes. problem is that by the time we realise it stopped working, we've become addicted. And yes. it's not so easy to, to just simply go, oh, I'll just drink less. Yeah. It really isn't. Um, so what was the crunch time for you? There was a couple of 
points out, I'd gone to my GP and I had really bad anxiety and I've never had anxiety in my life. Yes. And at no point did any discussion come up about how much was I drinking. Oh. Didn't, wasn't, wasn't asked. Mm. But I had this feeling that there was a part to play with alcohol. Um, I, I was in denial about how much I was drinking. I was in denial about the role alcohol was playing for me because I think the thing about gray area drinkers is that we surround ourselves with other gray area drinkers so that we don't think that we've got a problem if everyone around us is drinking the same amount as we are. And, and what is gray area drinking? So if you think about someone's drinking as being on a scale of one to 10, yeah. so one being maybe someone that has a glass of champagne at a wedding mm -hmm. and otherwise they don't really think about alcohol, doesn't feature in their life in any way whatsoever. 10 being someone physical dependency who needs to have medical assistance to withdraw from alcohol. Yep. They're two quite extremes. Mm. And in the middle is the gray area. So I think of that as being about a five to an eight on that scale. Okay. Because the problem is, if we just think about it in the old fashioned, the, the stereotypical way, we used to go, you're an alcoholic or you're not. Yes. But if you don't give yourself the label alcoholic, I would never have described mm. myself an alcoholic. Yeah. That prevents us getting help. Yes. Because I wouldn't have stood up in a church basement and said, hi, I'm Sarah, I'm an alcoholic. That did not identify with me in any way because I didn't drink every day. And my stereotypical preconception of an alcoholic was someone who drank in the morning, who yes. was having waking up with shakes yeah. and, and needed that drink. And I wasn't like that. No, I, I didn't drink on a Monday and Tuesday I, and because and that was my rules. Um, if I don't drink on a Monday and Tuesday, I'm not an alcoholic. Yes. But I still had a problem with alcohol. Yeah. And so what we I'm so passionate about is we need to change the the dialogue around this. So it's not an alcoholic or you're not. There's the gray area. And that's where this is so helpful to start thinking about, well, where do I sit on that scale? And do you find that I, I see you work with women in particular? Do you find that women really identify with that? Absolutely. Brilliant. Um, I did an interview in Mamma Mia, the online magazine, um, like news forum. 8,000 women contacted me on the back of that interview. Wow. And every single one said the same thing. You've just told my story. Wow. And and the story of being alone, being, you know, having the alcohol as a crutch, basically. Yeah. But yeah. being high functioning. Mm. So still holding a like I was still running half marathons. Like, you oh. know, like I, I was running a half marathon, but but drinking considerable amounts. If you think about um, the what 12 to 14 units a week is tend to be for women that were not meant to have more than that I could drink that in the, easily a night and do that every night apart oh. from Monday and Tuesday um, but you know like that we we and so many of my ladies are the same but mm. the problem is that because we're high functioning we're running a job we're raising kids we're doing our sport there's so much pressure on women to yeah. do it all to to you know many of us are caring for elderly parents there's the pressure to be to look good to cook home-cooked meals to you know that all of this pressure that comes in and we can't cope and yeah. alcohol switches everything off in an instant and how do you switch off in an instant these days I'm very careful with I could so the thing with with me was when I removed alcohol it allowed me to suddenly develop a relationship with myself that I'd never had before yes. because I was in tune with myself because mm. I wasn't numbed from alcohol all the time. So I'm able to start going, oh, I can recognize in my body that I'm feeling a little bit stressed. Mm -hmm. I need to do something about that right now. Like I was so disconnected to myself when I was drinking 
that I couldn't have even recognized how I was feeling or what I needed. So did you have to deal with your anxiety first before you could become sober? No, because as soon as I stopped drinking, the anxiety disappeared. So it was completely alcohol induced. Right. So after going to the GP, being diagnosed with anxiety, and then... So what happened after that was about two weeks later, I'd had a birthday party, um, a friend's 40th, and I had got too drunk, um, way too drunk. I'd gone outside for a cigarette because, again, when I drank, I smoked. Yes. I was wearing high heels. I crouched down to put out my cigarette had no reflexes, toppled over and landed on my face. Oh. And I cut open my nose, I cut open my lip, cut some bruises. And the next, and I went home, a friend took me home, passed out. And I woke up to my five-year-old daughter standing next to me saying, mommy, what happened to your face? Oh. And in that moment, Amanda, I, I hated myself. Yes. I just was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't. And I took a break and I just said to myself, I'm going to take 21 days off mm-hmm. because everyone says 21 days to change a habit, right? So I said, I'll do 21 <laughs> days. And I ended up doing 100 Good because I was like, oh my goodness, this is what it's like to wake up feeling positive and energized and fresh and happy every day because I'd been drinking consistently for so long that I never was waking up. For, I my I was living a life of about five out of ten in terms of my energy and motivation. Yes. And I didn't know that that was all it was because that had become the norm. Yes, because um, it's like 72 hours, I think, to get alcohol out of your system. So exactly. those two days didn't cut it where you they weren't drinking. They just didn't cut it. And so all of a sudden, it, and it was quick for me, it was really quick how mm. quick I noticed the benefits So I got to 100 days and then I said, oh, but I can't never drink again. That would just be weird because I'm Sarah the party girl. But it's fine because now I've taken 100 days off. So now I'm fixed. So now I'll be a moderate drinker. I'll be one of those people that just has a glass of wine every now and then and everything will be fine. It doesn't work like that. Within two weeks, I was back to drinking the same amount as before. Wow. So that what followed for me was two years of really trying to moderate, never being able to moderate, taking breaks, going back to drinking. But I never, ever forgot how good I felt that 100 days. It never left me. I just remembered that version of me and I loved her. And I was just like, I all I want is to feel like that. And I keep doing the one thing that takes me further away from that. Whereas I know that in actual fact, if I just remove the alcohol, everything else that I want my life to be, it will be. And yes. so April 2019 had my final drink and that was that. And and you just made the decision that, no, I'm going to be that girl now and that's it and no turning back? Yeah, because I'd spent two years trying to moderate mm-hmm. and moderation isn't an option for me. And it turns out it isn't for many, many people because the thing with alcohol is it's addictive. It's not as simple as going, oh, I can suddenly just be a person that can enjoy one glass. If I've been addicted to alcohol, you can't undo that addiction. That's it. And, and you know, for many people, it's exactly the, the case. And such a story, such a journey that I think will resonate with so many people, as as you say, with women. And do you work with men or do you find that men's journeys with grey drinking is not the same or similar to women or not as as much I do work with men I do um I do one-to-one coaching with men um but the the real crux of the work I do is um is 
bringing women together because I find that there is such power in connection yes so I run programs with women with um like a couple of hundred women will be in the program at any one time and they're all supporting each other they're all encouraging each other and that is the magic of because it can feel really lonely yes everyone else around you is still drinking it can feel really lonely and it is and so is this your wonderful challenge where women support each other yeah, so I run the challenges four times a year. Um, I'm in the middle of one at the moment. So we're recording this in October and um, I'm doing my Sober October challenge right now. And it's just incredible, like the support, the connection, the encouragement that the women show each other. And there's women all over the world in this group. And it's um, it's it really is quite, quite something. Well, from the reviews, I can see that from the women themselves. They're obviously impressed and it's changing people's lives dramatically. It really is because we're so conditioned to believe that we need alcohol and that a life without alcohol will be boring. And yet for so many of my ladies, they remove alcohol and everything opens up. Yes, it's the opposite, isn't it? That life life stops being boring. Totally, totally. And I believe you're an accredited grey area drinking coach. What do you do to become an accredited coach in this area? So I studied um, with um, the lead grey area drinking coach in in America. And what I do is I work with clients to to look at the neurotransmitters, to look at rebuilding neurotransmitters. Most of my clients are really deficient in GABA. GABA is the neurotransmitter that makes us feel calm and relaxed. And so it makes sense. Of course, if we're deficient in it, we're going to look for something else that makes us feel calm and relaxed. And alcohol is the number one thing that does that. So the brain doesn't go, oh, that thing will make me feel calm and relaxed, but a few hours later, it's going to leave me feeling stressed and anxious. It doesn't work like that, does it? The brain goes, oh, last time you drank alcohol, it made your problems feel like they were going away. So therefore you must do that again. And so what I do is work with clients to rebuild their GABA levels and find other ways to soothe their nervous system so they don't need to turn to alcohol. Wonderful. That's so great. Um, and you talk about busting myth, myths. I guess that's some of the myths, isn't it? That, that this will make me feel better full stop. Yeah, there are so many beliefs that we've got around alcohol. I can't socialize without alcohol. I can't have fun without alcohol. People will think I'm boring if I don't drink. I can't relax and unwind without alcohol. People won't like me if I'm not drinking. Like we carry so many negative limiting beliefs around alcohol. And that's the number one thing I do with my clients in in all of my programs is changing our mindset around this. Brilliant. And you, as you say, it gives so much mental clarity and self-esteem. There's so many wonderful psychological effects and benefits of giving up alcohol. Or in some cases where people can do controlled drinking or they're not addicted, as you say, and they only drink in a very small, moderate way, that those people typically have good self-esteem anyway. Yeah. And I'm not here to demonize alcohol. I'm not here to say no one must ever drink again. But I am here to say that if you're noticing it's having a negative impact on you, it's okay to take a break and give yourself permission to see what life is like without it. Absolutely. And you mentioned that uh, Perth is where you're based and that there's a growing alcohol-free movement. Is that? Do you think that's since the pandemic and lockdowns? Um, I think that people are becoming more sober curious. I think people are, there's more information available now about the impact of alcohol. And so more and more people are aware the fact that it directly causes seven types of cancer, the fact that it really impacts our anxiety, the fact 
that it really impacts our sleep. Like the more information we share, the more people can start to make educated decisions of do I want to be drinking at the level that I am? And if I'm not, then what else do I want to be doing with my time? And so I lead a group called Perth Sober Socials, which has got about 1,200 women in it. And we do social events um, without alcohol. Um, and it's about showing people that you can still socialize, you can still get dressed up and go out and have a dance. You don't need to have a drink in hand or an alcoholic drink in hand to do that. Um, and because there's quite a lot more of these groups available on the east coast of Australia, but not so much on the west. And that was why I set up Perth Sober Socials. Fantastic. Yes, it's it's amazing. You imagine the people that go to functions and or are thinking of going to a function rather and and well I can't really go now because I can't drink and yet you could be drinking club soda yeah. and there's loads of alcohol-free drinks available now which is you know I'm, I'm such a, a keen and um, passionate ambassador for them definitely um and I think we saw uh definitely through the media that there was an increase in alcohol use during the lockdowns pandemic so this is such a great trend to help balance and help people balance out again and make healthier life decisions as I think we're all looking at our lives fresh since lockdown pandemic yeah exactly exactly and the thing that I noticed was so many of my ladies were their drinking massively increased during the pandemic and then they said oh well now the pandemic's over I'm going to drink less and it's not as easy as that like the neural pathways in the brain once they've been created it's not as easy as just turning it on and off Yeah, I heard some research recently where the typical number of times people go around that addiction cycle very much at the norm is 35 times um, before they start to recognise that it's not that easy. Yeah, and that's why I'm so honoured to be able to lead and empower women um, and men um, to take this decision and support them because it's not easy. It's really not. And it's such invaluable work, as was your previous lifetime work in recruitment, coaching in a variety of wide-ranging areas from law, oil and gas, mining to digital and marketing. You've had two very different careers in these different areas. Uh, What made you switch? So once I stopped drinking, I knew that I couldn't not do something in this area. It had had such a profound impact on my mental well-being that I wanted to be able to support and help other women. And at the time that I stopped back in 2019, there were so many support groups um, and coaches in this area in the UK where I'm from. So I had been leaning into groups over there. I was in many, many Facebook groups. I was speaking to coaches over there and I got all my support from over there. And I was like, but there's nothing here in Australia. And so that was why I decided to retrain, become a women's health and wellness coach and then get my gray area drinking accreditation so that I could then start to offer the support that I'd had, but be able to offer it to other people here in Australia. Fantastic. And look, people can find you and your workshops, your challenge, your coaching one-on-one. You do speaking as well. People can engage you with your speaking um, and they can find you at your website, which is sarahrusbatch.com. Fantastic. Um, And Sarah, I'm asking all my guests, what makes you psyched for life? Being alcohol-free. Like it's been the, um, the most life-changing experience of my life and the irony is that I fought against it for so long thinking it would be the end of my life and it was just the beginning. 
Brilliant. The main thing I want to say to your listeners is if you have ever questioned your relationship with alcohol or the role that alcohol plays in your life, please know that you have full permission to take a break, to give yourself that chance to see what life is like without it, because you might just be surprised. And you are an exemplary role model for this. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for having me. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 397 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7 on 1800 1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.